Welcome back to the Taint Me Later podcast. My name is Noah Rubin, and this is episode eight, where we'll be breaking down the Kings, Suns, and Warriors, doing a brief season recap for all of them, and talking about dynasty outlooks for players on each of those teams. Uh, before we get into that, we'll probably discuss a few of the recent head coaching hires. Uh, but before that, I would like to remind you to like, rate, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen or watch it from. Uh, also to check out my articles on my Substack. I've been doing three of those per week, breaking down the teams in written form that I end up discussing on the podcast. So my Substack is noahrubin.substack.com. And also if you have any dynasty or just regular fantasy basketball or even just basketball uh, related questions, you can find me on Twitter at noahrubin22. You can either DM me or just tag me in a tweet and ask the question. I'll probably answer it there, but I'll also go more in-depth on the podcast as opposed to trying to write out a very in-depth explanation on Twitter. Uh, Gives me more to talk about on podcasts as well as hopefully is able to help people with their dynasty leagues. So this will be episode eight of the Tank Me Later podcast. As I said, episode eight, uh, break down a few teams, but first the head coaching hires. Uh, there was three that I wanted to discuss pretty briefly um, that could have either a minimal or a pretty big fantasy impact, probably more just an impact on the teams, though. Uh, the first one was Nick Nurse signing to become the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers after they moved on from Doc Rivers. Uh, there was reports that James Harden wanted him gone, as well as reports that James Harden was just going to go to Houston. Uh, whether Harden's back or not, I think that was a good move for them. Uh, Doc Rivers has a long career of blown leads, and I don't think that pairs well with the 76ers, who have really struggled to make it out. They haven't made it out of the Eastern Conference second round since Allen Iverson was there. And despite all the talent they've had, I know they – probably would have came out if it wasn't for that miraculous Kawhi Leonard shot, miraculous Kawhi run. That team with Jimmy Butler, Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, J.J. Redick, that team probably could have made it a lot further than the second round had it not been for Kawhi Leonard being the player that he was during that series and during that entire playoff run. As we're even seeing with what Jimmy Butler is doing now, it's even more just mind-boggling that that team was only able to make it to the second round. But they bring in a guy who has won a championship, who beat them in that playoff series, Nick Nurse, a defensive-minded head coach that has been has had an interesting strategy for guarding Joel Embiid in the double-teaming and just basically throwing guys at him. Um, and there's been you know, public, I guess, a little bit of a – We'll call it a, a dialogue between Nick Nurse and Joel Embiid uh, to reporters about, you know, Nick Nurse saying Embiid gets fouls, Embiid complaining about Nick Nurse complaining. I don't think any of that's going to actually cause an issue now that they're on the same side. I don't think that that's something that anybody needs to look into. Uh, but what we did see Nick Nurse do with Toronto was basically, this is an expression uh, run his starters into the ground by playing them so many minutes. Um, so will he do the same thing with Philly? Probably. I mean, he might have a couple other options, but 
Doc Rivers kind of already was doing the same thing. I mean, if you look at the minutes from the regular season, I mean, Harden played almost 37 minutes per game. and B played almost 35. Maxi played almost 34. Tobias Harris played almost 33. Really, if it wasn't for certain injuries to Maxi and Harden, D'Anthony Melton probably wouldn't have seen 28 minutes per game, but pretty close. Uh, P.J. Tucker played 26 minutes per game. I think that was he was just kind of the odd man out that they cycled through with Melton. Pretty much, I mean, some other guys did see minutes, such as Shake Milton, especially for a long stretch without Harden and Maxi. He was the starting point guard, basically. Uh, George Niang is a part of their rotation. Jalen McDaniels, minor part of their rotation after the trade. They have other guys there. Hopefully, we can see more Paul Reed minutes. We'll see if Nick Nurse adapts, but we did see him have some guys on his bench that he just refused to play or just really limited their minutes, such as a guy like Chris Boucher, uh, who might be able to have a better fantasy season um, now that he might be able to actually see some minutes. Uh, but we'll we'll see exactly how it plays out. I imagine that Nurse will keep, if Harden's still there, uh, him at big minutes, Maxi, Tobias Harris, and Joel Embiid at big minutes. I don't think he's going to less than that at all. Um, I don't think it has too much of a fantasy impact on those guys. Honestly, I just think that it's a good move for the 76ers, and I think it's going to help them potentially make it out of the second round. I mean, they have enough talent to. They have the superstar to do so. I think a lot of times with the playoffs, it just comes comes down to matchups, who's playing well at what time. I mean, this year they ran into the Celtics. Uh, two, three seasons ago, they ran to the Hawks and had Ben Simmons just not playing basketball, basically. Uh, the year before it was, or last year was the Heat, who came very close to the NBA Finals. So year after year, it's they're just running into somebody that is playing some of their best basketball. And at times, also, they just their stars haven't shown up. I and mean, we've seen Embiid falter. A few times, him and Harden weren't very good in Game 7 against Boston. Even though they were up 3-2 heading back to Philly, they they should have advanced from that, but um, they weren't able to get that done. So we'll see if a new coach is able to change anything. Fred Van Vliet is also rumored to have interest, and they're rumored to have interest in Fred Van Vliet. If Harden leaves, I think it would be really interesting to see the 76ers not only try and get the old Houston Rockets team back together, but then pivot from that to get the old Toronto Raptors team back together with Nick Nurse and Fred Van Vliet. Who else? Like, I don't know who else they'd bring in, but I just think it's interesting um, that potentially Fred Van Vliet would follow Nick Nurse to Philly. We'll see how that plays out. Um, The second one, Monty Williams to Detroit, just signed a six-year, $72 million contract, which I believe is the largest in NBA history. Uh, We saw Monty Williams have success with New Orleans, coaching both Chris Paul and Anthony Davis at separate times. Um, as well as some success with the Suns, coaching Chris Paul once again, as well as guys like Devin Booker, and this past season briefly, Kevin Durant. Plenty of experience coaching superstars, and if Detroit's serious about actually ending their rebuild and becoming a competitive team, I, I think that's a good hire. I think you know, getting their lottery talent to actually take a step forward and make them into a competitive team. Uh, Kate Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, Jalen Duran is a very solid core. They're going to add the fifth pick this year. 
I think that they have so much talent. I mean, you got Boyan Bogdanovic as well. That's a solid veteran. Some other guys that still have upside that haven't shown it yet. Uh, you know, you've seen bits and pieces from guys like Wiseman and Bagley and Killian Hayes, not saying that, oh, they have seven future stars, but those guys still have upside. Like they were drafted high for a reason. Can Monty Williams get it out of them? I don't know. We'll see. I think that those guys are still worth taking a flyer on um, in dynasty startups or in dynasty leagues if you're able to uh, acquire them for relatively cheap. But I think that obviously the main three are Kate Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, and Jalen Duran. Uh, but I think Monty Williams is a good hire to make them competitive again. And I think that he's been able to show that as a head coach uh, when he's been in control of teams. I mean, you saw the Suns were basically a poverty franchise post Steve Nash for a long time. And then all of a sudden they got hot when eight, no in the bubble. And then the next season they were in the NBA finals, if I'm not mistaken, that was just the year after I think. So I'm not going to double check that, but we've seen him have success. Can he bring Detroit to the finals? I'm going to go ahead and give you that answer. Not next year. No, he will not just take them from a lottery team to the, to the finals. He won't, he's not that good, but Detroit will be more competitive next season. I think just between their guys developing and bringing in a new voice, a new head coach that has experience and has not won a championship, but has won, um, has had success in the NBA. It can't be worse. <laughs> and that's probably the baseline right there is that they, they shouldn't be worse than they were this year, assuming that they're able to stay healthy. Obviously losing Kate Cunningham pretty early into the season was demoralizing. Um, and then as the season went on, guys started getting hurt, missing more and more games. I think that if this team stays healthy, they can approach 500, pl- be in the play-in game, um, depending on how big of leaps guys take. I mean, Jaden Ivey should be better in year two, playing alongside Cade Cunningham. I fully expect Cade to maybe not make the all-star game, but remind people why he was the number one pick and approach – that level of play, depending on their success, maybe he makes it. Um, that's kind of what I expect out of him next season. But it, but I'm also admittedly very biased and very high on Cade Cunningham. So that might just be a lofty expectation. I wouldn't suggest everybody to have the expectation, but the possibility is very real. Uh, and the third one, I don't remember if there was others. This was my list that I made very quickly before I started this, but it was Adrian Griffin to Milwaukee. He was an assistant uh, for Toronto, uh, for a long time, former NBA player, his son plays for the Hawks, AJ Griffin. Um, obviously, he hasn't been a head coach before, so there isn't a ton for us to look at other than what other people say about him and his reputation, which I haven't seen anything negative. Basically, any assistant that's hired for a head coaching spot is a very highly respected assistant coach at this point. I mean, Everybody's either cycling through old head coaches, as we saw with Philly and Detroit, or they're bringing in an, a highly respected assistant coach. Those are kind of the two options. I think if anybody brings in anybody else, such as the Nets hiring Steve Nash a few years ago, it's questioned pretty quickly, and it's right at you know center stage of national media is why did they make this hire? But Adrian Griffin, it's a it's a new voice. It's probably not what you'd expect a team that just won a championship two, two, three years ago to do. You expect them to get somebody with a championship pedigree.
But apparently reports suggested that Giannis pushed for this. And if your superstar MVP pushes for something, you probably listen. And just whatever it takes to make them happy, especially for a small market team, like just being honest. Um, so I think it's a good hire. I think a fresh voice, you know, I don't necessarily agree with them firing Mike Budenholzer in the first place. But since they've done that, I think it makes more sense to try and go with somebody new as opposed to recycling. Like if they would have, for example, not even saying this was something that was remotely considered, if they would have said, hmm, Doc Rivers just got fired. He's won a championship before. He's been a head coach a long time. Let's hire him. I think that's pretty pointless to, I mean, you're getting a fresh voice, sure, but you're getting a guy that's kind of shown what he what he will do as a head coach. He'll probably get you a top four seed, probably get you out of the first round, and then that's probably it, which that's success in the NBA, but it's probably not what the Bucks are looking for. Uh, so I think a fresh voice of Adrian Griffin could be very good. We'll see. I mean, the Lakers did that with Darvin Ham, and you know he had an absolute microscope on him as head coach of the Lakers, uh, but he did a fine job got them to the Western conference finals, not saying it was all him or all not him, but he was a head coach that got that team to the Western conference finals. I think that Adrian Griffin could help Milwaukee avoid at least avoid getting or losing in the first round, which again, if you want to look at why they fired Mike Budenholzer two years after a championship, they lost in seven to the Celtics last year. Celtics ended up making the finals. They lost in seven without Chris Middleton. Okay, you put Chris Middleton in that series, they probably win. Potentially get back to the finals, maybe lose in the Eastern Conference Finals. This season, they lose Giannis game one. I know he played in game five. I want to say he played in game four as well, but I mean, at that point, he's probably still playing her. He's probably not 100%. There's probably little, a like very small chance that they actually lose that series if they're healthy from the beginning. Um, and it probably still would have been a tough series. I mean, we've seen the Heat prove that they weren't just some fluke eight seed that upset because of an injury. I'm not saying that, but I think the Bucks probably would have got it done six or seven games. I don't think that the Knicks would have given them any problems. So I think that they'd be right back in the Eastern Conference Finals at least if they were able to stay healthy. So did Mike Budenholzer deserve to be fired? From the outside, I don't believe so. Maybe there was more that we don't know about from the inside. Um, but regardless, they moved on. They have Adrian Griffin now, and I love seeing new assistant coaches, like new people get a chance to be a head coach. I think it's, it's not fun just seeing the same guys get cycled through. It's like, like there's so many assistants that are very, very good that could be the next great head coach, but teams tend to just defer to guys who have experience. And in cases, I feel like that's a good thing, but maybe not always. Um, so I, I think Adrian Griffin's a good hire. I don't think that there was necessarily a better head coach with experience on the market uh, when they made their hire. So I think that the Bucks will be better next season. I don't expect them to lose in the first round. Um, but that's it for the head coaching hires. So we'll start getting into the teams we were originally going to discuss. Uh, which is the Kings, the Suns, and the Warriors. And we'll start with the Kings, who probably, like five people, had avoiding the play-in. We'll say that. I won't say five people had them at least making the play-in, because I'm sure a lot did. Um, I personally didn't, and a lot of that was just, the, they're the Kings. 
they were the Kings. I don't, I can't even apply that to them anymore, but it didn't, it seemed like no matter what they did, it just wasn't good enough. And even though they showed some stuff towards the end of last season with Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox, I just didn't think it was something they were going to be able to sustain over the course of a season. Uh, but Mike Brown hire was excellent. Drafting Keegan Murray was great. An NBA ready player that fit into their starting lineup perfectly destroyed the Hawks in the trade for Kevin Herter, which again, I, I know I'm a Hawks fan going to discuss the Hawks every chance I get. Um, the fact that Tony wrestler said that they've never made a move. That's just a co- uh, cut cost. And they traded Kevin Herter for a lottery protected 2024 first Mo Harkless and I think that was Justin Holiday as well. For Kevin Herter, who was the starting shooting guard for the number three seed in the West, was excellent for the Hawks. I mean, despite getting drafted, I believe he was 19th. They don't beat the 76ers uh, in advance to the Eastern Conference Finals that year without Game 7 Kevin. Trey Young was awful that game. Kevin Herter literally went into Philadelphia and took the Hawks to the Eastern Conference Finals that year. And they said, yeah, a lottery protected first from a team that was trying to be competitive. That'll possibly convey next season. It just, that move, that saying that they've never made a cost-cutting move. Anyways, um, so yeah, the Kings made good moves, um, you know, but it wasn't enough for them to make it out of the first round. But I think that... you would have liked to see them make it out of the first round and call, to call it a successful season, but I don't think that like that they needed to do that. They were the three seed in the West. I think that was enough. They lost in seven to the defending champions and had arguably the best playoff performance of Steph's career, Stephen Curry's career, the best playoff performance in game seven in Sacramento, and that's what it took to beat them. They have a little bit of playoff experience under their belt. The Aaron Fox hadn't been to the playoffs before. A lot of those guys hadn't been to the playoffs before. Obviously, Harrison Barnes has won a championship, I think just the one. Um, so he has experience, but he wasn't very – like we always saw him start missing shots and not play well in those big games. Sabonis so has playoff experience, um, and so I think that's part of what helped along with Mike Brown's experience, helped them to be competitive so quickly. And like as competitive as they were. So I would expect, I don't know if they'll be back or if they're a team where you can say, yeah, I fully expect them to be back as a number three seed. Um, I think just the way that, especially, you know, either betting odds or the way you look at teams, um, the Lakers had a lot of success towards the end. I know everybody, the Lakers is annoying to talk about. I agree. Uh, But they had a lot of success and made the Western conference finals. Um, The Clippers, if they're healthy, like you always have to consider them to be dangerous if they're healthy. I know it's a big question mark what Denver's doing. I don't think anybody like, regardless of what happens in the finals, I don't think anybody's going to say, yeah, I don't think they're a top four team in the West next season. So I think that the West is just so talented and they have some, there's so many teams that are, that have superstars that weren't very like a super successful. Like you can't tell me that the Suns aren't going to be one of the favorites next season. So I fully expect the Kings to be back in the playoffs, no doubt about it. I wouldn't be shocked if they were a top three team. I just don't think that anybody outside of Sacramento is going to look at what they did this season and say they can absolutely repeat that this season and they should be favored to repeat that this season. Um, I don't think that's a knock on them. I think it's the way that media and betting odds work 
Um, De'Aaron Fox and Demonis Sabonis were spectacular this season. I don't think anybody's considering them to be top 10 players. And in this this league, you need superstars, not just all-stars, superstars. You need, if you're serious about competing, you need somebody playing at a top five, like a top five player in the league. That's that's how you win championships. Jimmy Butler has been, isn't, you wouldn't say Jimmy Butler is a top five player in the NBA, but Jimmy Butler has played like a top five player this playoffs, if that makes sense. If it doesn't, I apologize. But uh, Nikola Jokic, I don't, I would say is the best player in the world. I don't think that there's much debate that he's at least top four. I don't think, I think if anybody's debating that, like they just have an agenda. I think that there's four guys when everybody's absolutely healthy that you could say are the best player in the world. It's Giannis, Jokic, Embiid, Kevin Durant. There's other guys you can consider as well, but I think that that's a pretty clear top four in my mind. You can disagree. I mean, Steph is still up there. I don't think after this playoffs, there's a ton of other guys that you can really consider. I mean, before the playoffs, you probably could have said Jason Tatum, but I think with some of the things that he showed, you probably wouldn't say a top five player. Anyways, I mean, Luka Doncic, we didn't even see him in the playoffs. So we, a lot of people, are, I wouldn't say forgetting about him, but I just forgot about him. So I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one that did. But um, my long point with that is that people are going to look at superstars and say, okay, like these are the guys that I trust to win a championship. I mean, if you look back at who has won championships, everybody has a, at least one player that was, if not playing as the best player in the world, playing as a top five player in the world. That's, I mean, when, again, apologies for always talking about the Hawks, when the Hawks made their Easter Conference finals run, Trey Young was playing like a top five player in the NBA. Trey Young is not a top five player in the NBA, but he was playing at that level. And you know, he can reach that level at his best. It hasn't happened in the years since, but he's been able to do it before. When the, when the Mavs made the Western Conference finals, Luka was playing like that. He was playing like that guy. The past champions, uh, the Warriors, Steph was playing like that. Giannis was playing like that when the Bucks won. Um, when the Lakers won, I say both LeBron and AD were playing at that level. LeBron has won rings. Kevin Durant, Steph Curry have won rings. Um, when the Raptors won, Kawhi Leonard was playing like the best player in the world. Whoever wins the finals this year, whether it's Jokic or Jimmy Butler, those have been the two best players in the playoffs. That's my long point on the Kings where I ended up talking about basically everybody else except the Kings. So apologies for that. Um, if we can see De'Aaron Fox or Demonis Sabonis get to that level, I think the Kings can make a run. I don't think that they're incapable of that. I just don't think that since they haven't done it before, many people would pick them to do that. If that makes sense with all respect to the Kings that I can give, uh, because I know that they have a very talented team. I think that now that they have a playoff experience under their belt, um, nobody's going to be picking them to be back in the lottery again, the way they potentially were this season or coming into the season. Like they'll be picked as a playoff team. Off the top of my head, I'd probably have them as a five or six seed. But I'm saying I don't think anybody's going to pick them to be a three seed. And that's my long spiel that kind of knocks down national media, but also supports national media a little bit. So I don't think anybody's going to be happy with that take. But it's my long take. Um, as far as them as a team, you know, Darren Fox, we'll go through a few players now. That way nobody, no other Kings fans have to get mad at me for my take. But uh, 
De'Aaron Fox had a magnificent season, um, really took a huge step as, you know, kind of the leader of the team as an all-star. He won uh, the inaugural Clutch Player of the Year, had the best fantasy season of his career, finishing in the top 50. We saw him kind of play to that level towards the end of last season uh, alongside Sabonis. But in my mind, I didn't think that that was something he could sustain over the course of a season. And I was very, very wrong. So, you know, I think Fox is somebody, let's see, I, I actually have been doing mock drafts now, so I have something to kind of compare that to. Um, and he went third round pick five, which would be 29th overall. Um, I'd probably have him a little lower than that. I guess really not a ton lower. I mean, it's hard to find guys that are able to score both like score 25 points per game and get six assists per game the way he was able to and the way he probably will again next season. Even though he's playing alongside Sabonis, who's a really good playmaker, Fox should still be able to do that. And those are those are hard to find. I think, you know, outside of the main superstars, really good assist numbers are hard to find. And also guys that can score at that level. Like, I mean, you look at it, uh, Jokic, Luka, SGA, Tyrese Halliburton, LaMelo Ball were five of the top six picks in this dynasty startup mock draft that I'm doing with the other one being Wembenyama. And you also had uh, Trey Young going in the second round, Darius Garland going in the second round, John Morant going in the second round, even though he's not a great fantasy player because of how hard assists and points are to find in one player. I, mean, I took Scoot Henderson at the end of the second round because points and assists together are very hard to find. So I think that gives Fox value, even if he has had his best season at 42nd in terms of overall nine cap value. I think that his actual production isn't truly represented by his fantasy value. I mean, he almost hit two threes per game over a steal per game shot over 50% from the floor. I mean, he didn't obviously get in, give anybody any blocks. He wasn't, he was 78% free throw shooter, which is fine. Not going to hurt you. Obviously not as good as some other star point guards are, but De'Aaron Fox is a very good player. I would say top 30 is very fair. Um, looking at how this one played out, I don't have any issue with him going uh, 29th at all. Um, trying to see his age really quickly. 25, he'll be 26 in December. So he's still got, I don't know, I'm just going to estimate seven, eight year, seven to eight years left of top-tier production. Um, I know a lot of his game is speed, so probably when it, hits like when he starts to drop off it's going to happen pretty quickly um unless he's able to really adapt his game uh which we've seen like we've seen players do that i mean chris paul's a great example he's still providing elite fantasy value and i can tell you he, he's a little he's a step or two slower than he was in 2007 just a step or two um so it's possible that fox can still be a really good fantasy contributor in eight years I just think that's probably about when he'll start to drop off a little bit, but that's great. <laughs> I don't think anybody's going to complain about seven to eight years of 25 points and six assists ish uh, with 50% shooting. Um, if we look at Sabonis, 
Sabonis was – he just had his best fantasy season, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, finished 26th um, in nine-cat scoring. Excuse me, 22nd. His, be- his previous best was 26th. His, he just had his best season in nine-cat. And he's only 27. Doesn't require a lot of athleticism for his game. So I think he's going to be around for a while. I mean, he's 27. He could easily play till he's 36 at a very high level. He may not consistently be a second-round fantasy player, but he can play that long, like, no problem. Like, I think that's why if you look at Jokic at 28 and he's still probably the best dynasty asset, I mean, until when until Webinyama plays a year or two and people see that he's able to play to the level that we all expect him to, in which case he'll be the best dynasty asset. But Jokic has been the best player in fantasy basketball for three years straight. And at age 28, there's no doubt in my mind he can do it at least seven or eight more years. So he's going to be – okay, he won't be the best player in fantasy basketball for, for a decade straight. He just He won't finish number one overall. But – top 10 value for another eight years for Jokic or yeah, is realistic. So I think Sabonis is obviously not quite as productive, but he's to that level where you're saying, okay, like he's going to be around for a very long time. So age 27 shouldn't scare me away if I'm a rebuilding team. Cause it's not like this is his prime and, you know, trade him now. Cause in, three seasons he's not going to be anything like he is now this is not true he's going to be around for a long time um the only other player on the team to be a top 100 player in nine cat was kevin herter who i talked about a little bit earlier um he'll be 25 at the start of next season i don't see them changing their starting lineup unless honestly the only person that potentially could is harrison barnes um and i don't even think I mean, there's not a better option that they're also able to trade for. So I think they'll have their same starting lineup, uh, which means Herter will be back as a starting in the starting unit, uh, providing a ton of threes. I, I, let me look again, but I believe his free throw numbers were down this season. Um, like he wasn't a very good free throw shooter, despite how good he was from three. He shot 72.5% from the line. The year before, he shot almost 81%. And this season, he shot 40% from three, which was a career high. So almost strange. I mean, he has the worst free throw shooting season of his career this year. He doesn't shoot him a ton. So it's not like a huge issue. He took 1.7 per game, but that was really low for a shooter. It was, it was kind of weird, but I expect he was a top 100 guy. I think that's something that he can maintain. I mean, he provides you a little bit of value across the board. Doesn't really kill you anywhere. Um, and he provides a ton of threes. Like he had almost, he had 2.73 per game this season. I don't see a reason why he can't get close to three or closer to three and just continue to light it up from deep. I think that he's going to be doing it for a little bit. Uh, Malik Monk, six-man role behind Herter. I think he has the talent to be potentially a top 100 guy uh, if he finds himself in the right situation. I think he has one more year on his contract, so if he signs somewhere else that needs a high volume scorer at in the starting unit that could be the ideal situation and he could be a top 100 player other than that he's probably going to i think he was he was just outside the top 150 this season 
me double check that. But he was outside the top 150, 176 after being 125 with the Lakers. Uh, his minutes were down from that. He played 28 minutes with the Lakers, 22 this season as the sixth man for the Kings. So he's shown that he's capable. I just don't see him getting the starting role over Herder at this point. Um, I think just the way Herder fits in alongside uh, De'Aaron Fox, like he can handle the ball, but he doesn't need to. He plays well alongside a top tier point guard, whereas not saying Malik Monk can't play off ball, but I think he does a little bit more with the ball in his hands. It's a really good, um, he just fits the mold of a six man. So unless he is able to find a starting job somewhere, he's probably going to stick around. I mean, he was 176 this season around that. He could probably approach top 150, but probably not much better without a consistent starting role. Um, Harrison Barnes, he's over 30 now. I mean, he's, he doesn't excel in any category. I don't really know what you'd expect from him at this point, other than to maybe give you a round of top 100 value and play every game. Like he doesn't miss many games, but which is probably the biggest upside. Like if there's a category that Harrison Barnes is really good in, it's games played. That's about it. Like he really doesn't contribute a ton anywhere else. So yeah, I mean, he's not a guy to target. He's not a guy to get rid of because he's solid, but if you're looking to have a specific build for a team, like he's not going to come in and help you in like a ton, in like three categories. He's just not going to hurt you in other ones. That's about the extent of Harrison Barnes. Um, and then Keegan Murray was their rookie, had very high expectations after being drafted fourth. And as an older rookie, I mean, he's 22. I thought he had a decent chance to win rookie of the year. Paolo Bancaro was a stud significantly better than I even than I expected him to be. I expected him to be good. I didn't expect him to be that good. Um, I thought Kagan Murray had a real chance since he was going to be starting for a playoff. Well, a good, a better team than the Magic. It ended up being the three seed in the West. Obviously, my correction with myself is that I didn't pick them to be the three seed in the West. Uh, but we saw with the rookie of the year, the year before, Scotty Barnes get it over Evan Mobley. And while I think Scotty Barnes certainly had a case, and if you take out the first probably like month of the season, Kate Cunningham had a case, but the Raptors, I want to say, were sixth in the East, and the Cavs were eighth when the season ended and then ended up losing in the play-in to the Nets and Hawks and missing the playoffs. So we saw Scotty Barnes make the playoffs, and I think that's probably a big reason why he had won Rookie of the Year, although I think that one was very close. Not saying Keegan Murray should have won it, but I think – with the Kings having the starting unit that they had, uh, Murray was able to slide right in. I think, um, I'm trying to remember, was it Chimezi Metu or somebody else on the Kings um, that they had starting for a little bit over him? Um, maybe it was Metu. It's probably somebody else, and anybody's listening is screaming at me about what it actually is, but. Um, basically there was Keegan Murray wasn't starting for training camp and, but was starting by the time the season started or at least a couple games in. Um, and I don't think that anybody's going to take a starting job for the next 10 years. I don't think he has so much upside in fantasy basketball. That he's going to be a top 25 player or top. He could probably be a top 50, but the thing about him is, almost kind of like Harrison Barnes. He's not going to really hurt you anywhere. He's, but he, 
the difference is that he is going to excel at threes. He's going to be a dangerous, lethal three-point shooter for a long time. He just broke the rookie record for three-pointers made as a, like in a rookie season. He had 2.58 per game. He's going to get over three per game at some point, and he's going to hit a lot of threes and be a very good three-point shooter for a very long time. That's about what you're getting from Keegan Murray. I don't think that he's got top 25 upside as a fantasy player. I think coming as an older rookie helped him a lot. He can contribute a little bit here and there, uh, but he's going to be a lethal three-point shooter for a long time, and that's what you're getting. And that's good enough to probably be top 75, top 50 for a long time. There's not superstar fantasy upside, but there is very good fantasy player, almost guaranteed. Um, but there isn't a ton of fantasy value in other spots or with other players in Sacramento. So I'm going to move on to Phoenix just because I, the Kings have very good role players and they have guys that come in and have good performances occasionally. Uh, a guy like Davion Mitchell, you know, probably one of the best perimeter defenders in the league, but given his limited role and the fact that playing good defense doesn't really help you in fantasy, other unless you're getting steals or getting blocks, obviously, on ball, like allowed field goal percentage or contested jumpers aren't categories in fantasy basketball, unless you have a, a, a site that does that, in which case let me know because that sounds fun. Uh, but they have guy. I mean, Trey Lyles comes in and shows really well every like once in a while, but there's nobody else really that you're looking at in more like 12 team dynasty leagues. Maybe in 30 team, you're able to get production from some other guys, but the Kings really have a six man kind of rotation and some injury replacements here and there that can fill in and play well. Um, I just realized all these teams are from the same division. So we'll just, Stick with that. Uh, go to Phoenix, who fired Monty Williams um, after the season. They made the finals two, lost the Bucks two season, three seasons ago, depending on how you want to look at it. I guess two seasons ago. Um, then they got embarrassed by the by Dallas after being the one seed in the West. Um, just ran off the floor at, on their own court in Game Seven, um, which was incredible to watch. Not because I wanted the Suns to lose, just it was such a masterful performance from Dallas. Just seeing Luca hit ridiculous shots, ridiculous step backs, and laughing down the court. Like, there's, I've never seen a team embarrassed like that. Um, and then this season, not like similar, not quite as bad, but they lost in six to the Nuggets, who are now in the finals without Chris Paul, without DeAndre Ayton down for the last couple games. No Paul, last game, no Ayton. Chris Paul and Devin Booker could not do it by themselves. Actually, no disrespect to campaign. Apologies. I'm pretty sure he's the league scorer that game. Hit like seven threes. Um, and, and Devin Booker was, if I'm not mistaken, Devin Booker was very bad. And Kevin Durant started off bad and ended up playing okay. Um, but basically, the Suns made those moves, made the move for Kevin Durant, not to try and, I don't know, probably not to try and win a championship this year. They clearly didn't have enough depth. I think that, Oftentimes we get, like, as I said earlier, and this may even contradict myself, so uh, we get caught up in star power, which is why every team with a superstar gets picked to win a finals or be more competitive, have better odds just for having one on the team. Um, 
because we've seen these guys play at such a high level. But I think looking back, it's pretty clear you can say Phoenix just didn't have the depth that they needed, that even though they had a superstar like Kevin Durant and a superstar like Devin Booker, they really didn't have enough to beat that Nuggets team. Um, Now, if Chris Paul stays healthy and DeAndre Aiden stays healthy and they're at full strength, there's there's a very solid case that they could have won that series. Um, But they didn't have the depth that once those guys went down, and that's obviously hard to find depth in the NBA, that once a star goes down, not I mean, a superstar goes down. I don't think anybody has depth for that, but we'll say a very solid starter goes down. Not many teams have the depth where they can just fill that spot and just keep going. Like Boston probably does. But I mean, if you take off Jason, if you take away Jason Tatum, I mean, he hurt his ankle, played through it, and they got blown out by Miami. If you take away Al Horford, you, they have Robert Williams. Okay, like not many teams in the NBA have that level of depth. The Suns just their glaring issue was their lack of depth. So they, I mean, Jock Landell was just not going to cut it against Jokic. That's okay. They now have a summer to try and figure things out, bring in a new head coach, hopefully actually add some depth so they don't have to just run Devin Booker and Kevin Durant's knees into the ground in order to make the playoffs. Um, there's definitely guys that they can add. I think that having that duo assuming that Chris Paul and Aiton are also back like that core four, they can probably get role players that they need to build a competitive team. Potent, not necessarily at a discount, but I just think that they're able to get, they should be able to get guys to field a more competitive team than what they had this season. But in turn, there's not a ton of fantasy value coming out of here because they have probably four guys worth rostering in standard 12 team leagues or, you know, 10 team, 14, whatever size you play. If you play in a 30 team league, you're, you're probably still not adding much else in Phoenix. You're just, I mean, Cameron Payne is a guy that is a stud when Chris Paul misses time, which you can almost guarantee that he's probably going to miss at least 10 to 15 games, if not more. Actually, that's probably even generous um, that saying only 10 to 15 might miss 20 games. Cameron Payne, I think was hurt a little bit this year. So I think that kind of limited his, what his image is with, as that, Super streamer. The season before, we saw it a lot. Um, I think the only other guy I wrote about in my, in my article for their recap was Darius Baisley. And that's just because he has a lot of upside from the Thunder. Like we, he showed it with the Thunder, didn't really get a chance to with Phoenix. I would expect that since they have him there, um, he's a restricted free agent. So assuming they don't just let him walk for nothing. Um, because they just traded Dario Saric. I believe he was part of that deal. I don't remember if it was a bigger deal or if it was just an even swap, but that was part of that. Um, I would assume they're not going to let him walk for nothing. He has upside. If they give him a chance next season, he could probably make an impact and be a nice depth piece for him. I don't know why they didn't use him more, but they should try to during the regular season to get him ready to help them in the playoffs so that when something like that happens and an injury happens, because it's a Chris Paul-led team for some reason, Injuries just always happen. Um, they'll have some depth, and they don't have to rely on Jock Landale and Bismack Biombo to try and guard Nikola Jokic. I'm not saying Baisley would have been a so so much better of an option, but it would have been a, a unique look to throw. Um, and he's shown that he can get defensive stats and hit threes. So if he's able to get minutes in Phoenix, he has upside in probably a little deeper leagues, probably not 12-team because of Kevin Durant being there. But 
he's probably the only other guy. I mean, Chris Paul's 38. He's just had the worst season of his fantasy career, finishing 33rd in nine cat leagues, which is better than most players ever get to. And he just did that at age 38. Assuming he's he doesn't retire, I don't think he will at this point. Um, he should come back and give you a ton of assists, a ton of steals, and not as many turnovers as you'd expect for a guy with as many assists as he gets. And he should probably be a top 50 player again, even if he plays only like 55 games. Even at his age, he should still be a top 50 player. I don't see him just absolutely falling off a cliff because even though he's clearly not the same player that he was, he was still able to be a top 50 guy. Um, Devin Booker, you know, he's he hasn't really ever been a top 20 guy, but we saw before Chris Paul arrive, him kind of getting like that over six assists per game range. And then after CP3 joined the team, his assists went down, but so did his turnovers, kind of a fair trade-off. When Chris Paul's gone, they're not going to use Cameron Payne or whoever ends up being the next point guard, um, unless it's another star point guard, I'll, I'll say that, assuming they don't have like are able to bring in another star. Devin Booker's going to have the ball in his hands more. There's probably not a ton of point guards out there that are going to just – they're going to want to have the ball in their hands more than it's in Devin Booker's hands. So Book can probably get back to giving you six assists per game. I'd assume the turnovers go up. The field goal percentage might go down a little bit. If he makes a leap and is able to get back to six assists per game while still maintaining his field goal percentage and his without tanking his turnovers, Devin Booker can be a top 20 guy, maybe even better. And we've seen him be, you know, such a talented player. I mean, he was, let's see, his best, okay, his best finish was 20th two seasons ago. Um, the year before Chris Paul arrived, he averaged six and a half assists with three, 3.8 turnovers. The season before that, 6.8 assists with 4.1 turnovers. Chris Paul arrives, it goes down to 4.3 assists and 3.1 turnovers. This past season, five and a half assists, so it's getting back up there, with only 2.7 turnovers. So, you know, his, his field goal percentage was at an all-time high, 49.4. Could we see, you know, once Chris Paul retires in a year or two? I mean, I, I just, I don't see Chris Paul playing past 40. We'll see. Devin Booker will still be like 28 when Chris Paul retires at the latest. Could Book average 27 with over six assists? and shoot over 50% from the floor with less than three turnovers, it's possible. You probably have to take a leap and have an excellent season. Like it wouldn't just have to be, oh, Dip Booker just kind of does what he's been doing and gets to those numbers now that Chris Paul's gone. Like I think he would have to be better, which is a lot to ask considering how good he already is. Um, I think that that's kind of his ceiling. Um, we could see, but his floor at this point is also like, early third or or, yeah, early third round value. That's kind of his floor. He's not going to probably drop down to top, like around the top 50. He's going to be probably a top 30 guy, at least for the next five seasons. He's one of the best scorers in the league, if not the best national scorer, and he could do so much else when he has the ball in his hands. I think we haven't seen Devin Booker play his best basketball, which I, I don't think is an unfair or, or that ridiculous of a statement. I mean, he's been excellent, 
but I think we can still see, like, I think we'll still see like better basketball from him. So uh, Kevin Durant's arrival didn't impact him that much. Like it was, he was honestly better having this un, other unguardable superstar playing alongside of him. Um, but for KD, when he's on the floor, he's been insane. Like absolutely. I'm looking at it now as a rookie, he finished 84th in nine cat second season, eighth. Then he went one, one, three, one, one, five, two. Those were his seasons with the thunder goes to golden state goes one, three, eight misses a season plays with the nets eight, two. And then this past season, he was five. Those are his nine cat rankings. Absolutely insane. The issue now is that he can't stay on the court. I mean, since leaving Golden State, he has played in 137 games through four seasons. Can you rely on him? I mean, he played 47 games this past season, 55 the year before that, 35 the year before that, obviously zero before that. You can't rely on him to play 60 games. Like, obviously you can't plan for injuries, but the past few seasons have shown that he's probably not going to stay on the floor that well. Could he? Sure. Everybody can. Like, I'm not going to say, oh, this, this player is destined to get hurt. Like, it's going to happen. You can't say that about anybody. But with the frequency with which it has happened, with his body structure being a taller, skinnier guy uh, that also moves as well as he does at his age, like, it's not crazy that his he's just not able to stay as, like healthy the way he was in the past. Like it's not like he was playing, he's played over 80 games four times in his career. So it's his durability isn't what it was. And that's not a strange thing. It's not like really that like a bad thing. Like it's just kind of what you expect. Like he's getting older. It, just, it happens. But when he's on the floor, that hasn't changed anything. He's still one of the best players in the league. So can you rely on him for 60 games? Is he a great roto player? Probably not, not as, not as good as he is for on a per game basis. But if you're a win now team in a dynasty league, he has he has excellent value. The only thing is, you just have to hope that he's missing games before your fantasy playoffs, or and that he's not missing games during that because obviously that defeats the purpose of everything. But you know, with the value that he gives you, he I mean, he's still got to be considered an elite player. I'll go to this dynasty mock I'm doing, and he went last pick of the third round, so 36th. And let's see. The only, like I guess, older guys that were taken before him was I think it was just Anthony Davis. That was, that was yeah. The other guys that are probably, I don't know everybody's, everybody's age off the top of my head, but uh, AD is, I believe, over 30 or around 30. Um Sabonis was taken before him, and he's 27, as we talked about. Giannis is, and, and Giannis and Embiid, who are, I want to say like 27, 28, and I know Jokic is 28. Nobody older than Kevin Durant was taken before him. I don't think 36 is a bad spot at all, especially with that team. It's actually a very insane team. He, he had the first pick went Jokic. This was Dynasty Hoops. Um, actually, I'll pull up his Twitter real quick and tell you what his – I think it's just Dynasty Hoops. So it's Dynasty Hoops HQ, excuse me. 
Um, Dice Cubes HQ made this pick. Had Jokic at one, Sabonis end of the second round, third round reversal. Got KD at the end of the third, Harden at the beginning of the fourth. So win now team, quite obviously, shouldn't have an issue with winning now if this was actually a played out league. Um, should be a very, very competitive team very quickly. So I think that's where KD's value is, is with contending teams. I don't think he holds a ton of value at all, as most players his age, with rebuilding teams. Um, and then you're just kind of banking on him being available when you need him the most. I don't know when he'll get hurt. I don't know if he'll get hurt. I would say that history shows us that he won't play 70 games next season, but you just got to kind of hope that it's close and hope that he's not injured from late February to late March. Um, the other guy we can talk about is DeAndre Ayton. Um, and I was not a fan of drafting Ayton this past season. I don't remember exactly what his ADP was, but he was he had the worst fantasy season of his career. He finished 55th in nine cat. Most of the reason I didn't want to draft him was because of how things ended this previous season with whatever happened on the bench while they were getting blown out by Dallas between him and Monty Williams. Um I just I thought this team was gonna run into major, major chemistry issues, and we didn't see it blow like boil up and boil over uh the way I honestly expected it to. Um, I mean, we saw Aiden try and go to Indiana and naturally they matched his contract. Uh, Monty Williams is gone now. I would assume that if there really was issues, that, that helps Aiden a lot or maybe not make him some super, super productive fantasy player now, but I would assume that helps him at least feel more comfortable if that was really an issue. Like if, if that was a lingering issue all season, he played while feeling unsupported by his head coach. And I would assume that bringing in a new voice that hopefully like if he clicks with them, where that is, uh, that it helps him out. I mean, he averaged 18, 10 and less than a block this season. I mean, his, his peak has been, uh, his second season, he averaged 18.2 points, 11.5 rebounds, block and a half. I mean, we've seen him shoot 63% from the floor. He has, I mean, he can be around 25, 30, like range in that, as far as nine cap finish, it's, it's possible. I wouldn't bank on it. I don't believe in Aiden as a guy that can get there. I think he can hover around top 50 value for the next 10 years or however long he's in the NBA. And that's very good. Obviously <laughs> like that's not anything to, but I don't think he's, you know, going to return the value of the number one pick, especially of that draft class. I don't think he's ever going to get there. I mean, if you look at it, Aiden was the consensus number one pick during that draft. Uh, not consensus. Basically, there was Luca believers who were very right and Aiden. And most people went with Aiden because for some reason, still the idea around EuroLeague players at the time. I mean, I don't know why so many people thought that, oh, yeah, like, he never played collegiately. Like, I don't know how he would have done in the NCAA when he was playing in basically the second best professional league in the world against grown men, as opposed to playing against, I don't know, some 50 year seniors or whatever. Oh no. Like anyways, I always get off on tangents, don't I? Um, but drafting Aiden over guys like Luca SGA and Trey young, as well as a number of other guys. I mean, 
I don't think that he'll ever return that level of value. He's not going to be better than those guys, but I still think he can provide very good value. I just hope that whenever you did your rookie draft that you didn't take him one over Luca or over Trey or over SGA, although most people probably ended up taking him over Trey and SGA, at least in rookie startup drafts. Um, But as far as Phoenix, there's not really much else to say just because they have gone with the stars and scrubs method where they have four excuse me, two superstars, two other very, very good players that are, I don't even want to call them borderline all-stars, very, very high-level starters. We'll call them high-level starters. And some other role players. I mean, you saw Tory Craig and Josh Okogie were rotating in the starting unit. Okogie is a very elite, like elite defender who also showed that he can knock down some threes. But I wouldn't say that, you know, he's probably more of like a depth piece on a championship team, like an eighth man that plays 10 to 15 minutes a game with really solid defense and hits a timely three or two. He's not a 35 minute per game starter based on, I think, some offensive limitations. Um, Tory Craig's a solid role player. Again, not a guy that you're probably going to say is a starter for a championship team. So I think if Phoenix is able to add some depth, there's no reason to think that they won't be competitive next season or at least a preseason favorite. We'll see how everything shakes out with injuries and their new head coach, whoever that is. But obviously when you have superstars, you're going to be considered as a contender. Um, And the last team we'll talk about is the Warriors, the defending champs. uh, Obviously weren't able to go back to back. Um, Started off bad with Draymond Green, sucker punching Jordan Poole. And that's how they started off their season. So I think from the beginning, it was kind of like, ooh, this will make a really good documentary if they're able to turn this around and win a championship. And I think if they win another, like when this Warriors documentary comes out, it's it's going to be incredible. I mean, we saw the MJ documentary was incredible. Um, I think a lot of that had to do with everybody being stuck inside during COVID and having nothing else to watch watch or nothing else to really do no live sports so gathering around the tv to watch a lot of dance i remember that was something i loved doing the lebron documentary is going to be insane i'm sure that there is a kobe documentary coming out it's going to be awesome but this warriors like documentary is going to be like there's so many stories that they can tell through that i mean between you know their early battles with the clippers uh you know how all those guys were drafted um, and then going into Mark Jackson being fired, Steve Kerr being brought in, their championship runs, battles with Cleveland, the blown 3-1 lead, them coming back from 3-1 against the Thunder, um, the finals where or bringing in Kevin Durant, the finals when Clay and KD got hurt, um, you know, the incident with Draymond and KD, Clay's recovery, Steph's return to MVP form after missing a ton of time, them coming back and being able to win championship. Then this Jordan Poole incident. If there's anything else they can add to this documentary, it'll just be icing on the cake. Like it's already like finished. It's incredible. They have so much to work with. So I'm I'm excited for whenever that comes out. Whether it's I mean it might be 20 years down the road. Whenever it comes out, it's gonna be incredible. Um, but six seed, they finished at six. Oh, love set the Kings in the first round um, in seven games. Legendary performance from Steph in Game Seven. And then they just didn't have enough against the Lakers. I mean, in reality, 
it was just going to come down to the Lakers, get inside, get to the free throw line. It wasn't necessarily the refs being biased for the Lakers. The Lakers get to the paint. The Warriors chuck threes. I'm not going to say that every call was perfect because I don't think anybody actually believes that, including the refs themselves. But I also don't think that there is some hidden agenda for the referees to keep the Lakers in or else we would have saw them at least win one game against the Nuggets. But um, if the Warriors were shooting at the level that we've seen them shoot over the past decade, they could have won that series, but they just didn't. So that's why they lost. So, I mean, that's what happens when you live and die by the three, even if you have two, I'll say two top five shooters of all time. That's very generous to call. I mean, Clay's probably top three, depending on how you look at it. But I'll say top five to be, you know, trying not to disagree with anybody. Two top five shooters of all time. Um, Steph and Clay, you win a lot of games. It just didn't happen. I don't think that's anything to hang your hat on. They can still be a very competitive team and should be for at least a couple more seasons, even if Steph's still playing at a high level and Clay isn't quite the same player he was. And I don't think that's a knock on him with the injuries he suffered. It's incredible that he's still playing and starting and just had the best. Like he just hit the most threes in a single season that he ever has. That in of itself is incredible that he was able to do that after the injuries and lengthy absence that he had. Um, along with the fact that he was able to come back and they were able to win a ring after all they went through. Um, but we'll get into players now because, oh, well, I'll also mention Bob Myers stepping down. I think that that has more of an impact than most GMs leaving. I think most GMs leaving, it's like, finally, thank goodness we got rid of that guy. Obviously with Bob Myers stepping down after, I don't remember exactly what year he signed, but a, a decade of incredible success. Um, there's been numerous stories about the culture that he built with that team. I think that they lose something. I don't know how big of a loss it is. I don't know if it's, it's just, they stop making as good of moves as they have made, or if they just lose something from their culture, they're not able to recover from, and they're just not the same team. I don't know how drastic it is, but they lose something. I still think that they have enough there that have, and how much success they've had, that it's not going to be, oh, Bob Myers is gone. This is a lottery team, obviously. But I, I think they lose something. I don't know what it is, but it's something. Um, but they also have Steph Curry, who we'll talk about first. He's 35. But when he's on the floor, it, it's it's the same thing as Kevin Durant. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull up the numbers real quick. He finished 11th in 9-cat as a rookie. I can't. I, I could probably look it up. I can't remember if there's been a better rookie season for fantasy basketball. Played 80 games and finished 11th in nine cat. I'm sure there is somebody that has been better as a rookie. Um, but from what I remember off the top of my head, that's the best I can remember. Then he went ninth, 14th, fourth, fourth, second, first, third, second, fourth, 31st when he played five games and then got hurt. Um, at 27.9 minutes per game shot horribly anyways just strange five games for stuff then the warriors or excuse me lost my train of thought while I was, try, I was trying to remember but uh then he finished second sixth and then sixth this past season the difference is he's not playing as many games it's not quite as bad as kd as far as like how many games he's able to play but he's hitting like five threes a game when he plays and he's 
He said at least, aside from that season that he played five games, he said at least four since the 2015-2016 season, which he had five that season and hit three and a half the season before that. Greatest shooter of all time, no doubt about it. Nobody's questioning that. Um, he's improved his field goal percentage over the like he's he's forty nine point three percent from the floor this season, which is the third best season of his career. Um, twenty nine point four points per game was the third best of his career. Like he's still playing at the top of his game. And since he's not like he's a very quick player, but obviously his game's built built on shooting, conditioning, running around, and catching threes. I mean the moves are still insane. This, I mean, he's thirty five, but you could see him playing at a high level for a few more seasons, and then still playing a few seasons past that. Past that. He'll be like I said, thirty five, but there's no reason to think he's not going to be a top ten guy again when he plays. The only issue is probably going to be playing around. 50 to 60 games. I guess the main question that we're going to have to answer or get answered for us next season is do the players care about the 65 game mark? Like, does anybody care? How much do individual awards matter to certain players? Are guys like Steph, KD, LeBron, who, let's just be honest, they don't care about individual accolades at this point of this career. LeBron wants to win another ring. Steph wants to win another ring. KD probably deep down wants to win another ring, but gives off the appearance that all he wants to do is just go go hoop, just go play some pickup basically at a professional level. Which obviously he cares more about winning than that. Although I think some of his tweets, it's almost funny how much he just seems to care about just wanting to play basketball more than winning a ring. Which is fine. I don't I don't blame him. It just it's fun to play basketball. But um I don't know how much guys like that are going to care about playing 65 games. LeBron probably, I would say of those three cares the most about his legacy, but he's literally, he's done so much already that it doesn't matter what he really does anymore. You're not, he's not able to add to his legacy with more like all NBA stuff. The only thing that's adding to his legacy at this point is rings. If he gets another all NBA, it's just one more. I mean, okay. Granted, if he wins MVP, if he wins Defensive Player of the Year, like those things will add to his legacy, sure. But if you're looking at the LeBron versus MJ argument, the main thing is that MJ had the higher peak, LeBron had the had more longevity. So just adding more longevity isn't going to convince anybody that is a believer that Michael Jordan is the GOAT, that LeBron is better. Unless LeBron wins a ring, wins a Defensive Player of the Year, or excuse me, wins an MVP, wins defensive player of the year, or wins like you probably have to win two or three more rings. Like, let's be honest, for true MJ fans to actually consider him. And even then, he didn't go undefeated in the finals. So point of all that is who really cares? Because everybody's biased and nobody's gonna change their mind. Um again, long tangent to get off on, but Steph probably doesn't care about playing 65 games and making all NBA first team. He doesn't he probably doesn't care. And he hasn't played he played 65 games during the 2018-2019 season. So that means over his past six seasons, he's done he's reached 65 games once. Now that it's the threshold to win awards, I don't think that's gonna change much for a guy like Steph. It's not gonna change much for the guys that are say 33 or 34 and older who just want to win rings at this point. It might change things for guys like, say, Joel Embiid, who can probably play 65 games, but 
I think because of his injury history, they tend to be more cautious, which understandable. But I, I would expect a guy like Joel Embiid to play 65 games because of the threshold. Like he's the type of player he might play exactly 65 games just just because of it. But I think that's also part partially because of his sense of humor. Older guys probably aren't going to care. Younger guys will. Um, but I think really you're looking at that. 27 to 30 range uh, as far as age of guys that it's actually going to impact like Giannis. I don't think Giannis is a guy that takes a ton of rest days like the same way that Joel Embiid's image is. But I think Giannis is a guy that you could also see probably play around 65 games after he didn't do it this season. Um, But I mean, if you look at guys like Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, Anthony Davis as well, alongside the LeBron, Steph, Katie, they don't care about individual accolades anymore. Clearly they don't, or they would have played during the regular season already. Putting the 65-game threshold, one, isn't really going to change whether they're going to win all NBA awards or not because if they're on the floor, they'll probably be considered for it. And if they're not on the floor, then they won't already. So saying, oh, you have to play 65 games, well, they played like 30. I think that's an exaggeration. But I don't think it's going to make them say, oh, shoot, i got to win my individual accolades during the regular season. They're trying to win rings. That's why they manage their bodies so well during the regular season and try and limit how much they play. I mean, that's why we saw Kawhi Leonard take such a long ramp-up process because he cares about rings. He doesn't care about winning, getting an All-NBA team. He's past that. Anyways, long tangent again. um, Steph's still going to be very good. Bottom line. Clay, we've seen the dip in his play. Um. He's still going to give you a ton of threes, but I mean, we, we saw he finished ninth during the 2014-2015 season, finished 64th this season, which was his worst since his rookie season. He's still going to give you, again, a ton of threes, but to ask him to do, I mean, threes and points. And points are hard to find once you get outside. I mean, it's not as rare as it used to be, I guess, is what you're saying. Like, best way to say it. I don't know the exact numbers off the top of my head, but if we looked at how many 20 point per game scores over like by season there are. I mean, I'll just look real quick for the season. There was over 50. There was 58 20 point per game scores. Well, we'll take out Louis King played one game and scored 20 points. So we'll take out that out. 57. We'll call it 57. Sorry, Louis. Unless it's Lewis. I don't know. Um, yeah. So points aren't as hard to find as I mean, if you go back 10 years, I guarantee there wasn't over 50 people scoring 20 points per game. But that's just the way the game is now. It's higher scoring. But not many players are hitting as many threes as Clay did. And I still think that even if he's shooting a lower percentage, not playing as good of defense, he's going to give you three-pointers because he's going to get them up. Uh, Draymond passed his days of being a really good fantasy player, but he still contributes He's outside the top 100 for the first time since his second season this past year. Um, he sh- he doesn't score a ton. I mean, he never really has. I think the main main thing now is his defensive numbers are slightly down. Everything's just kind of slightly down for him. But I mean, with his play style, with his age, I don't think that's like scary or like strange to see that his game is declining a little bit. But I still think he's a guy that in the playoffs, again, playoff priority there for his, like what what he's accomplished, adding in more defensive 
at, or excuse me, adding in more regular season accolades isn't changing what Draymond is and what he has been. He is he has a career predicated on winning at a very very high level. So adding in an all defensive team does not mean a thing to him. He wants more rings. So you know he played seventy three games this season, which was his most since the 2016-2017 season, which is impressive. And he's going to give you, you know, numbers across the board. And he he didn't average a block per game, but he was close. He averaged a steal per game, shot a pretty good percentage, actually the highest of his career, fifty two point seven percent. He's not giving you anything from three or ten from three. He's just being the ultimate role player at this point, which, you know, for dynasty, he can still give you solid value, but he doesn't really he's not playing his highest level of basketball until the playoffs as most players are but i believe he's one of the guys that takes a larger step forward in the postseason than other guys do um we're running long but i will still talk about some more warriors players before we go uh andrew wiggins is playing some of the best basketball of his career with the warriors um from a fantasy point of view was never a top 100 guy with minnesota has been a top 100 guy three of his four seasons with the Warriors. Um, not a very good free throw shooter. Shot 61.1% this past season on only a little less than two attempts per game. So not a, a huge knock despite the low percentage. But I had higher expectations for him, and I think he really started off this season well and then missed a lot of time. And I think when he came back, he wasn't playing at the same level that he was when he left. I believe that was for the long-term like personal absence. I think there was reports, never really confirmed, unless I'm totally mistaken, that, but it was reports that it was because his dad was sick. It was a very understandable reason to leave, but he didn't play the final two months of the regular season. He also had, okay, he missed a month from December to January, and I think before that absence, he was playing at a very high level really good numbers um, providing defensive stats like a ton good like pretty good rebounder I think that was something that he saw like we saw him do really well in the finals the previous season and then he said that he was going to come out and try and make an all defensive team and be a really good rebounder and I think he started off the season doing those things and then after he missed a month it just kind of went downhill um and then when he came back, I don't like he still had good games, but I don't think he was ever playing at the same level. So hopefully he can get back to that next season because it's certainly there. Jordan Poole um, received a lot of hate. I don't think he played super well in the uh, in the playoffs, and I think everybody kind of saw that. But the issue with Jordan Poole is that so he was sixty fourth last season. Um, pretty much as a start at the whole time. He, when Steph and Clay were there, he didn't start, but if I'm not mistaken, pretty much as soon as Clay got back um, after his year and a half long absence, um, Steph went down. So Jordan Poole was still a starter. So he was 64th in nine cap, mostly as a starter. And they paid him to be the starting point guard of the future because that's what he showed that he was. And then they say, well, we want you to be the sixth man now. And he was never that good as in the sixth man role. He was really good in, his, in a starting role. And I think when he started this season, 
aside from a few games where he just shot horribly, he was a very good starter. But for some reason, he's not a very good six-man. And he still averaged 20 points per game. So Jordan Poole, has, I mean, granted, he was 149th in 9-cat. He had 3.1 turnovers per game, which isn't great, obviously. Um, but I still think Jordan Poole, I don't know. It's a really unfortunate situation for fantasy. Great situation for him. He got paid. But I don't know like how quickly is Steph Curry retiring? Probably not very quickly. It might literally be towards the end of this Jordan Poole contract that Steph retires. Does Clay retire sooner and Jordan Poole gets the starting job? Do they just move Poole into the starting job over Clay? Probably not. I don't think Clay takes that. Clay doesn't seem to be the kind of guy that would. I could be totally wrong and just presuming. But I think the Jordan Poole would be more successful in a starting role. Um, whether that happens via trade or a ton of injuries next season and he gets the job or somebody retires or they just make a coaching move to move him into the starting unit, there's still you know a chance that happens, but I wouldn't I wouldn't bank on it happening anytime soon, which kind of limits his fantasy value. Um, there's still some other guys to have upside, Jonathan Kuminga, Moses Moody, and Patrick Baldwin Jr. Uh, Kuminga and Moody, I expect they should be in part of the rotation next season. They both showed pretty well during the playoffs at times. And I think that you know when you take guys that high, and I always love to look back at this, but if you look at their draft, I think it was the 2021 draft. They took Kuminga at seven. Franz Wagner went eight. And they took Moses Moody at 14. And the next three picks were Corey Kispert, Alperin Shengun, and Trey Murphy. So all four of those guys, whether they ended up going Franz Wagner over Kuminga and then any one of those other three, probably more like Trey Murphy, Corey Kispert, even Shengun though, um, over Moody, like those are guys that we've seen be so, so good at times or very good in their role that I think they look like bad picks. It's not as bad as taking Wiseman over LaMelo at this point, but I think that those guys have the talent and you have to see, like you have to give them a chance. Like they've, they've given them chances here and there to show their talent. But I think if you're, you know, trying to do this whole go from a championship team and have another team of the future playing under them to the point where the older guys retire and those guys just move up and just keep the team competitive that's very, very difficult to do without having those guys already be part of the rotation. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked if at least Moody and Kaminga were getting close to twenty, close to twenty minutes per game next season, and they can both be solid fantasy guys if they're seeing those minutes. Um, and hopefully, in a few seasons, they'll be worth holding holding on to in dynasty formats to the point where they're starters. I think that's the ultimate goal. You haven't traded them yet because you want them to be your, your starters in the future. Otherwise, there's no point in holding on to them because you might as well trade them for another starter-level player and try and get another ring out of this core. You, you can't have both. And I think that if those guys aren't contributing to a championship team right now and your focus is on them being part of the, ne- like the next wave of a, a championship team, like they still have to be part of the rotation. They can't just sit there, play here and there, occasionally start. I think that they need to have larger roles. I think we should start figuring that out next season, whether like what their plan is. And then Patrick Baldwin Jr., 
didn't really show a ton as a rookie, but he I believe was a really good high school prospect. Didn't play very well in college, but he still has such talent with how they've developed players over the years into, you know, Steph, I know was really good in college, but he still slipped to seven. Um, I don't remember what pick clay was off the top of my head. So I'm going to pull that up. Uh, he was 11th. So I guess still lottery. And then Draymond was the 35th pick in 2012. Uh, Jordan Poole, late first round pick. So we've seen them have success developing players. So Patrick Baldwin Jr., because of his game, if they're able to develop him into what he can be, that could be a fantasy star. It could be a an, like just a star in the NBA. Like If they're able to truly develop him the way he projects, I mean, he's a tall guy that can also shoot. He can be very good. I think that if you're able to, he's really worth stashing. But we'll see if he ever gets a chance to pan out because Steph is going to play for five more years at a high level, so it's hard to have these young guys actually pan out when they're already when they're playing super competitive basketball and they can't trust the 20 year olds. So it's an awkward timeline, but it's not the worst issue to have. Like they could have worse issues than too much young talent and too much old talent. Like they could have worse issues. So the Warriors are set up, but we'll see whoever the next GM is, if they can actually take advantage of what they have and keep this team winning. Uh, that's going to do it for episode eight of the Take Me Later podcast. Uh, as I said at the beginning, if you can like, uh, subscribe, give us a rating, uh, five stars would be great, but I guess however you feel. Um, just anything to kind of interact with the podcast, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, or YouTube. Um, sharing it anywhere would be great, but just interacting with it also helps other people to see it. Um, also, my Substack, noahrubin.substack.com. Uh, a few columns per week. Uh, and right now it's just season recaps, but I'll end up doing more stuff once I run out of teams to recap, obviously. Um, and then again, any dynasty related questions just gives me more to talk about on these podcasts. Uh, find me on Twitter at Noah Rubin 22. Um, and that's going to do it. Thank you all for listening.